0: Welcome back to the Your hormones podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. On today's episode, we are diving into a topic that was requested by a listener. I'm getting more and more requests on Instagram, which is amazing. I love being able to connect with you guys and just kind of hear you know, your stories and also hear what topics would be most helpful for you. So definitely don't hesitate to send something in. If you don't see it on the podcast right away, I have a list going, I have them all saved. So I will be making my way through them over the next few months, but this topic is going to be focused on chemical pregnancies. And this may be a term that you've never heard of before, or maybe you have experienced chemical pregnancy yourself. And what a chemical pregnancy is is when you experience a miscarriage within the first 5 weeks of pregnancy. So essentially what's happening is an embryo forms, we have the egg and the sperm meet, an embryo forms and it implants, so it attaches to the uterine wall, but for whatever reason it stops developing really early on. So oftentimes women won't know they even had a chemical pregnancy Unless they get a blood test to confirm that a pregnancy did take place. And this is why it's called a chemical pregnancy because the chemical or the HCG hormone, that pregnancy hormone, it will increase, but it will be too early to really see signs of pregnancy on an ultrasound. So even though we don't see signs of pregnancy, we do see hormone shifts that indicate a pregnancy did start to take place. And when you think about when you typically find out that you're pregnant, you know, if you are actively trying to conceive, then yes, you might find out earlier on in that week, four to five week time period. But if you're not actively trying to conceive, you may not think to be testing and you may experience a chemical pregnancy and essentially miscarry in those first five weeks of pregnancy and not even realize it. So some signs of chemical pregnancies, one is that your period comes about a week later than normal. Now that is not like black and white. There are many reasons why your period can become delayed. You know, one of them being, did you travel? Did you go on a trip? And maybe that is disrupting your cycle. Did you get sick? Did you have COVID or the flu that can disrupt your cycle? Are you more stressed than usual? There's so many elements to it. And oftentimes, you know, my clients will be having their cycle regularly. They're feeling good. And then maybe one month comes and it's not as consistent as it was before. And that can really get in their head and cause a lot of fear. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm backtracking. You know, what if I lose my period again? But our cycle responds to what's happening in our life and our environment. And it can be normal and it's okay if you have those random months here and there that aren't picture perfect, that aren't your standard 28 days or 30 day cycle, whatever your kind of baseline is. But if you are trying to conceive, uh, or maybe you did have unprotected sex around ovulation and your period comes a week later, then that could potentially be a sign that a pregnancy started to take place, but then essentially was lost, um, you know, early on another sign of a chemical pregnancy is that you get a positive pregnancy test, but then you get your period. So that's meaning your body did start to make HCG that pregnancy hormone, but you but you essentially miscarried early on. And therefore you started bleeding and you got your period. Another sign is that you get a positive pregnancy test followed by a negative pregnancy test a few weeks later. And that essentially means that your body started to make HCG. And then as you miscarried the HCG started to drop and therefore you got the negative test. And with a chemical pregnancy, you might notice that your period is heavier. You might have worse cramps than usual, and the bleeding may look a little bit different than your typical period. Now, the exact cause of chemical pregnancies is unknown. It's likely related to DNA abnormalities, potentially implantation issues. So maybe the embryo doesn't fully implant into the uterus and therefore it, it, it miscarriage happens because it's not able to fully implant and grow or potentially low progesterone. So I've talked about progesterone a ton on the podcast. It is what's known as the pregnancy hormone. And it's really the most important hormone during the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. And if progesterone drops too low, then it's going to cause the lining of our uterus to break down. It's going to cause us to get our period. And in doing so, we're going to lose that embryo. So it can be really frustrating because identifying exactly what your cause of chemical pregnancy can be difficult, especially if you're not getting testing in the moment, you know, if you experience chemical pregnancy and then maybe two, three, four weeks later, you finally get into your doctor's office by then, you know, it's hard to say, okay, what was happening with the lining of your uterus? Was it an implantation issue? Was it low progesterone? Because now it's in the past. So I think just considering all these factors and doing what we can to set your body up. So you're in the best place possible to conceive before you go right back into trying to conceive. And I think that's a a common mistake I see women making, and, and that's not their fault. I think conventional medicine just tells them like, keep trying, keep trying. But, you know, if you've had one miscarriage, whether that is a miscarriage after five weeks, whether that's a chemical pregnancy, you know, I think it's worth doing as much investigation as possible and kind of checking off everything that could potentially be contributing to your fertility struggles before you put yourself back in that position to potentially get pregnant again, because not only will it give you that, give you the peace of mind knowing, okay, I'm going into this pregnancy different. I did things differently this time. I know my body's different but it'll also give you that peace of mind of like, okay, I've seen on paper, I've seen on my labs where things are good, where things aren't good. And I've improved those things. So I think there can be a lot of like fear and, um, like just kind of out of control when you're just told to keep trying and you're not really given any sort of tools to make sure that the outcome of this next pregnancy is different. Now, many women with a chemical pregnancy will go on to have a healthy pregnancy. Those that have recurrent chemical pregnancies may be referred to a fertility specialist, potentially to discuss IUI or IVF. But I really strongly believe there are so many steps in between trying to get pregnant and doing something like IUI or IVF that is overlooked with conventional medicine. And I've worked with those clients before who maybe struggled to get pregnant for three to five years. Maybe they were told IVF was their only option. Maybe they went through IVF multiple times and they were able to get pregnant naturally and have a full-term pregnancy when we did the more naturopathic functional approach in terms of like really looking at, okay, what is not optimal for fertility here? And I think that, you know, to just tell a woman to just like, try, 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 and then go right into this expensive invasive procedure that is not guaranteed to work. um, It's just, it's not quality care. It's not empowering for the woman um, and it doesn't set them up for success. I don't believe. So some things that we can think about doing to prevent a chemical pregnancy, one is focusing on improving egg health. So like I mentioned, the exact cause of chemical pregnancies is unknown, but we do suspect that DNA abnormalities within the egg or the sperm could play a role. So focusing on improving egg health is going to be really important. One way to do this through diet is focusing on antioxidant rich foods. So this is going to help to prevent DNA damage. And when we think of antioxidant rich foods, we want to think of brightly colored fruits and vegetables. So like leafy greens, blueberries, raspberries, peppers, carrots, trying to get as much variety of color as possible. And I think we tend to be creatures of a habit. I know I'm guilty of it. I know that I tend to eat berries and green vegetables like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, leafy greens. Like Those are my two colors, red and green. So trying to mix it up, maybe challenging yourself by, you know, buying a vegetable at the farmer's market or the grocery store that you may not normally reach for and learning how to cook with that. So you get more diversity, but in general at lunch and dinner, trying to have anywhere from three to five different colored fruits and vegetables. So if you make a salad, not just having it be a bed of greens, and some dressing and some chicken. But can you throw in some tomatoes to get some red in there, maybe some carrots to get some orange, some peppers for yellow, really trying to diversify it. And of course there are supplements, many supplements that help with egg health. Some of them I'm just going to rattle off here. One is CoQ10. I think I've talked about that a lot on the podcast. Another is vitamin C, which I really love because vitamin C not only helps improve egg health, but it also helps support progesterone production. So it's kind of like a two birds, one stone situation. Vitamin E is also a great antioxidant. And then NAC also stands for N-acetylcysteine is really great for improving egg health. It also has many other benefits, including immune support. It helps with allergies, helps with blood sugar. So NAC is really kind of a catch-all, but not to say you have to be on all of these supplements to improve egg health, I usually say choose one or two, finding whichever one works best for your body. We also want to consider, you know, are we in a place where you have optimal hormone levels, especially when it comes to estrogen and progesterone. So I mentioned the, that implantation is really important and that if an embryo isn't Fully implanting into the uterine wall, then that can lead to a chemical pregnancy and essentially miscarriage before that week five of pregnancy. And estrogen plays a major role in the ability for an embryo to implant. So estrogen helps to build up the lining of the uterus. Essentially, estrogen helps to build that nice cushy home where the embryo is going to attach to. So, what happens when we have low estrogen? We're not going to have as much of that cushion for an embryo to implant. So oftentimes with low estrogen levels, we will see poor implantation and a common mistake I'll see women make is that they'll do some research online in terms of how to support their hormones. And they come across a supplement called dim D I M and dim can be really great for many women who have really high estrogen levels. But I have worked with clients before who have been on dim and we test their estrogen and their estrogen is completely bottomed out. So they're taking this supplement that is only driving their estrogen lower and worsening their hormone imbalance and worsening their infertility struggles. So just want to reiterate the importance of testing and not just taking random supplements because you could actually be doing more harm than good. So one way would be, okay, how do we optimize estrogen levels? And maybe that's through diet, maybe that's through supplements, but really want to make sure estrogen is in a good place before going into that next pregnancy. The best way that I have been, have found to test estrogen is through the DATCH test, which is that urine comprehensive hormone panel. Because if you do an estrogen test with your OBGYN, they're going to be looking at one type of estrogen, but there's actually three types in the body. And the DATCH test looks at all three along with estrogen, we also want to look at progesterone. So low progesterone will cause your body to release the embryo and the endometrial lining prematurely. So essentially it is going to, if progesterone drops, our body is going to think that we're not pregnant. It's going to start to have a period and we're going to lose that egg and sperm. The best time to test progesterone to make sure it's at a good level is either on day 21 on average, if you if you have a 28 day cycle. Or if you know when you ovulate, you'll want to test progesterone about six days after that. And you can test progesterone through a blood test, a urine test, a saliva test. We have more options when it comes to testing progesterone than estrogen in terms of getting an accurate reading. There are a few ways to help increase progesterone. Two supplements that I really love. For improving progesterone, especially during the second half of your cycle. One is vitamin B six and the other is evening primrose oil. So I'll typically do these with clients for three, maybe four months, and then retest their progesterone. And usually by then levels have come up. Now, if they haven't, and they are ready to start actively trying to conceive again, I will likely direct them to their OB to discuss whether taking a progesterone prescription medication is necessary depending on how low their levels are. And really, I want to see progesterone over 16 to 18, depending on kind of your, your fertility history, I might say closer to 18. If you've never had a miscarriage, you don't have many signs of low progesterone. I'd be happier with it around 16. Um, but we want to at least above that range, um, anything, especially below 10 is is a, a much higher chance of miscarrying. So we don't want you going into a pregnancy in that state, um, because some women you can have normal progesterone levels, but when you become pregnant, your body struggles to make it. So we already have that kind of working against us. We don't want you to go into a pregnancy with low progesterone and then be trying to play catch up. Something else to consider when it comes to chemical pregnancies is what is your thyroid status? What is your thyroid function? Thyroid function is so important for fertility. So it's important to look at all of your thyroid hormones, because if our thyroid is low functioning, meaning we're not making enough thyroid hormones, then that can lead to chemical pregnancy and an earlier miscarriage as well. So, you know, what I typically don't recommend is just continuing to try and try and try to conceive without having concrete knowledge of what needs to be improved and what doesn't need to be improved, right? Like it can be really helpful to have comprehensive labs done. And that's usually the first step I take with my clients, but have those comprehensive labs done so that we can say, okay, look, these three to four to five labs look great. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about your thyroid. We don't have to worry about your vitamin D levels. Like all of that is looking amazing. So you can kind of take that off of your plate mentally, um, especially if you're somebody who's done a deep dive on like every possible supplement out there. But then we can also say like, okay, well this specifically we do need to improve. And this is something that we can measure along the way. So we know exactly what is working for your body and what isn't. And that's where we come up with a plan on, okay, what do we need to do either through dietary changes, through supplements, through lifestyle changes, maybe medications, what do we need to do in order to move the needle and how often do we need to be retesting so that way we know, okay, this plan is working. It is moving you to your goal. And then we'll have an idea too of like, okay, our goal is to get you here. And then we, we feel comfortable in terms of you getting pregnant again, and this being a successful, healthy pregnancy. And oftentimes my clients will find that when they put in that work, when they are ready to try to conceive, it it doesn't take them as long because their body is just in a better place to conceive in general. So if you're somebody who, you know, you're like, oh, I've had a chemical pregnancy. It took me. 10 to 12 months to get pregnant. And then it ended in that chemical pregnancy. That doesn't necessarily mean it has to take you 10 to 12 months to get pregnant again. If you are doing the work to prevent a chemical pregnancy in the first place. And I hope that that makes sense. All right. That is all I have for you today. I hope that was helpful. I hope that if you have experienced a chemical pregnancy, you know, that, you know, it was not your fault. There are things that we can do moving forward to help prevent the chance of that happening again. Um, but they are fairly common. Unfortunately, knowing the exact, um, rate of chemical pregnancies is kind of impossible because again, a lot of women have chemical pregnancies and don't even realize that they were ever pregnant to begin with. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review for the podcast, share with a friend or a family member. If you find what I share here helpful so that more women can discover this information as well. I will see you on Friday for our Friday chats episode. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful week.